so um, last time I was there, uh, I looked up in, in the track stuff, and, and I was still in the top six of, I think, three events in the history of our school. My wife was actually in six at the same school. She had me whooped. But um, track was a big deal. So I joined the Air Force when I was 18, and when I was 20 years old, I got my first chance to test for promotion. A lot that goes into that stuff. The point of it, though, was my first time testing at 20 years old, I scored the highest in the entire Air Force for what I did to be promoted to Staff Sergeant. A few years later, same thing for Tech Sergeant, but I got third in the Air Force instead of first. And sadly enough, that still bothers me to this day that it wasn't. I mean, really, it does. <clears throat> but, you know, there's thousands, right? And I was third. We had our daughter, Tanya, who's actually here today. And um, we get to watch her, frankly, I get to watch her do some things that really I wanted to achieve in my military career and didn't. Um, that part is bragging, by the way. Uh, but anyway, what a joy to have a kid and, and to watch her be successful. So uh, prior to having our daughter, Tanya, I met Sue, my wife, uh, at... I was 15. I didn't have a driver's license yet when I met Sue. I was a blind date in high school. And we got married just after turning 20. And we're still together 36 years later. I've been at 40,000 feet, upside down, speed of sound, in an F-15 fighter jet. Uh, at the controls, actually. Flip it around, pull it back in, you know, do the loops. I got to do all of that stuff. I was first in my family to graduate college with a bachelor's degree. I retired from my first career at 39 and eventually moved here to a place uh, to begin another career as your port director in Efreda. And along with doing that job, I've had the opportunity to serve at some pretty uh, neat positions as chamber president, uh, uh, Grant County Economic Development Council president, president of the board of trustees at Big Bend Community College. I've owned new cars, pickups, RVs, boats, motorcycles, tractor. And to be honest, the one thing that I wouldn't admit to many people, and I'm not kidding when I say this, I wouldn't admit this to many people, but owning an airplane was the one thing half my life that I just thought, if I could only own an airplane, my life would be complete. Seriously. Kind of like everybody goes, well, if I could just win the lottery. That was kind of like the lottery for me. And one goal that I literally thought I could never reach because we started out so young was paying for our house. And actually here this last year, we were able to make the last payment on our house. Amazing. And finally, and maybe the most important, I have solved the age-old debate between the convenience of a propane grill <laughs> and the flavor of real charcoal. I have a grill that is half and half. Huh? I can do either one. Traeger thing? That's a whole other argument that, you know, we'll save for another day. So, but here's, here's my point in all of that, and there's lots more, and I'm sure each of you could, could match yours in your own version. But my point in all of that is, regardless of all that I've attained, achieved, or acquired, these things and many others were not enough. It was really interesting. Last night I was uh, working on this message and I, 
I make notes in my phone, and I was going through and see if I had anything for today. And, and after <clears throat> going through a list of all these things to talk about, really what I see is things that many people consider their life goals and to find out that they're not really the fulfilling thing we thought they would be. So after going through all that, I go, wow, that's pretty amazing. You know what a note I left myself in 2015? I was meeting with a friend of mine on a weekly basis, and, and one of the things we talked about was, what, what are some of the lies that we believe? And the lie that I wrote down that I believed, with all of that other stuff listed in my history, my lie was, if I can just get out of this life without falling on my face, I'll be a success. How do you do that? Well, it's nothing new, actually. About 2,260 years ago, Solomon had it all. If you go into the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, it gives this whole list as it starts out of all of these things that Solomon had and he achieved, right? He attained, he achieved, he got. I know what he said. 2,200 years ago, he said, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And he went on to say in verse 17, with all of that, he hated life. Hated it. So let me contrast the previous list with a couple other events in my life where things were different. And God had my complete attention. First was in August of 77, uh, the day that I felt like God just had me in his focus and his spotlight. And it was very clear that he was calling me out. And I accepted Jesus. Obviously, God was enough then. So the next day, I'm telling my dad about it. And we never talked religion in my family, not a word. Um, I told my dad about it, and to be honest, he mocked me a little bit and warned me against being one of those radical religious people, and, uh, which in his mind could have been something as simple as you know saying the name Jesus out loud. And later on, I just really learned how intimidating that was to him. But 24 years later, I heard my father cry for the first time. cried to me as he apologized for being diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And so over the next six months, I had the privilege to watch God do miraculous, miraculous things in him. I got to pray with him as he accepted Jesus. And watch God produce more life in him and through him in a few short months before his death than most of us have a chance to accomplish in our entire lives. I also had the privilege of being in the room as he struggled for his last breath. My mom holding him. I'm leaning against the wall praying that that God would just end it. And he did. 
And in that, God was looking. Sue and I have been married 36 years. And as you might imagine, there have been a few times in 36 years when maybe things weren't so great. We all hide it and can look good here, but the fact is we've had a few challenges just like everybody else. And as we clung to each other, as we pursued God together, God was enough. When our daughter Tanya was five-ish, she was having um, some issues which pointed to meningitis. And so we were in the hospital, in the emergency room, and the doctor asked me to hold her while they took spinal fluid sample. Now, Tanya got like 10 people's aversions to needles, all we wanted. And she didn't see the needle this cat was using But it's kind of hard to say, trust me, honey, it's not going to be bad. As I have her, I used to be a wrestler, and I had her in the best cradle move I could hold her in as I'm telling her it's going to be okay, right? Because she cannot move when the doctor sticks this thing the size of a turkey injector into her spine. Holding her, doc sticks her, she lets out a scream loud enough that half the city of Anchorage probably heard it, and, and, but she could not move, and I could not fix it. God was enough. A few years ago, many of you may know, on Christmas Eve, my mom was diagnosed with stage 4 terminal brain cancer. She took treatment, and... I don't know, it's been three years? Three years. She's still alive today. Uh, Doctors call it a miracle, frankly. Uh, And then here just about two weeks ago, well, three weeks ago now, she was told that it's coming back. In both of those circumstances, God was enough. He was abundantly enough. And the primary difference, if you look at those two lists of things out of my life, the primary difference is whose glory was being pursued. Right? That first list of all the things that everybody thinks in life is going to satisfy them. My achievements, my attainments, my acquisitions. It's my glory. Not enough. These other circumstances, which frankly are terrible, God was more than enough. God's glory, not mine. The second group of events, I had no control, and it was God displaying his glory and sufficiency in ways that only he could in circumstances where you may least expect it. few times a year when I do preach, I always come back to this principle of worshiping and glorifying God through our lives. Kind of a one-trick pony that way, I think. I think it comes from a background of living my life for many years, uh, really carrying the noun of Christian, saved in 1977. But I missed out on years and years of opportunity for 
being able to experience really what God had for me because I chose not to follow him. I had the label. I had my ticket to heaven, put it in my pocket. I'm good to go, and I'm going to go on living life the way I've always lived my life. As compared to in my 30s, when I discovered what the transforming power of Jesus Christ in my life and the things that I thought were so valuable here were nothing compared to what God had for me. And so that is definitely a passion of mine. And as we talk about the last, I don't know, actually several months of Christian living, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the practical aspects of putting the principles that God has given us in his word, put those things into action in our lives. So the next several weeks, uh, we'll be focused on how to fulfill our primary purpose on this earth of glorifying God. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he, God, has also set eternity in the human heart. St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. C.S. Lewis, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And finally, we've talked about this before. Blaise Pascal, hundreds of years ago, said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. We glorify whatever we worship, and throughout human history, we consistently display that we were designed for worship and we're always worshiping something. The question is who or what it is that we are worshiping. And so I want to review a few things in the past. I don't remember if it was from uh, back when we used to have BSF. Wes and I did some worship uh, lifestyle teaching or whether it was part of a service. So if you've heard this again, sorry. <clears throat> it's probably worth a reminder, though. Worship can bring you to a state of bondage at such a depth that it's unfathomable. Worship is a crucial component in our lives for experiencing all that God intended for us in our relationship with him. The difference between us experiencing the bondage in this world has to offer versus freedom and unparalleled satisfaction in our relationship with God, regardless of circumstance, is completely dependent upon who or what it is that we're worshiping, what it is that we're trying to fill that God-shaped void with. See, we become what we worship. And that's not a new challenge at all. That's why we find scriptures such as Psalm 115, who says, those who make them idols will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Deuteronomy 6 14, do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. The depth to which we enter into fully satisfying, God-honoring relationship with our Creator is directly linked to our accurate biblical understanding and application of why we are still here on earth, who God is, and what worship is. So we have this really very common approach to living life. 
as Christians, and um, I'll just illustrate it. We call it life by the list, right? And we say, we've got to make God first. Right? So we have God first and our family next and our job next and, you know, on and on and on. And even the best of multitaskers, though, are sequential in execution, right? And so I gotta, I'm going to keep God first. Holy mackerel, my job is totally out of whack. Boom. God goes down here. What happened to my list? See, and that is a constant struggle of shuffling the items in our list as opposed to what we'll just call the God-centered life, right? And so God is actually in the center, not me. And I'm superimposed there with God. And so, as I've said before, instead of being a means to the end, my job, my family, uh, put a, take an item off your list, those are purely the context from which we are to live our lives with the ultimate purpose of glorifying God. Okay? Not the list. See, living by the list, the fatal flaw of that is that it leaves out the real purpose for everything we do while we're here on this earth. In life by the list, we are task-oriented versus cause or purpose-oriented. So I want to start with our desired end result or our cause or purpose. So the question is, okay, why weren't we just simply zapped up to heaven once we accepted Jesus? I mean, why, why don't we just disappear and go? Why are we here? If you go to Ephesians 2.10, it says this, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now remember, these good works are a product of our salvation, not a prerequisite for our salvation. They're a result of what God's done in us and is doing in us. So the big picture idea is our purpose here is to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Our worship of God as we live out all aspects of our lives glorifies him. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how we glorify God in our church, in our families, in our communities. So what does it mean to glorify God? I mean, Gary's talked about God's glory. What does it mean then for us to glorify God? You know, Christians use that term all the time. In fact, our purpose statement, first line on the thing in the back here says, our purpose, 
Grace Point exists to display the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Go down a little bit further. It says, as God gives enablement, we will, if you look under A, it says a door, says the glory of God in Christ Jesus in lifestyle worship. In other words, God is how we live our lives, or worship is how we live our lives, not an event from 10 to noon on Sunday here. The phrase, give God glory, can be kind of elusive, really, until we understand what it means. You know, we can ask questions like, well, why does God need to be glorified? Is he arrogant? Is he prideful? Is he missing something that he needs to get from us? so that he feels better about himself? What is this glorifying thing? And the questions like that are really based on a false premise because it's kind of the only reference we have. And so we are trying to superimpose human experience, motives, and feelings onto God. Because that's the only thing we can relate, right? But the reality is that God is completely perfect, and sufficient, and is not in need of anything outside of himself. It's not true for us. We're wholly dependent on outside sources for our very survival. We're dependent on food and water and even air to breathe. God has no need for any of that. He's perfect and deserving of all worship and praise since he is the source of all things. As Gary taught us two weeks ago, Psalm 19, he's our creator Colossians 1, verse 16, God is our sustainer. Hebrews 1, verse 2 and 3, God is the sovereign. God does not need to be added to by our glorious works. And so then to say that we need to glorify God, we are not saying that we need to add something to God that he is lacking. He doesn't need others to revere him so that he can become more complete. Nor is it to say that God has any sinful pride that needs to be fed, because God is holy. No, to glorify God is to praise and worship him for who he is and to enhance his reputation above anything else in the universe. He alone is the one who is worthy of worship, adoration, and praise. He is the center of the universe and the purpose of all life. But it also says something about us, and that is this. We are by nature designed and created for God's glory. And so all that we do and say ought to be done towards that purpose. Therefore, we will live not for ourselves, but for him, for God. That sounds good. And we might say it a bunch, but realistically, vast majority of people walk out of church every Sunday, go right back to living for themselves. Kind of as a side note, I've heard it several times. Actually, so, you know, even today we did, right? We, we talked about tips for evangelism, right? We've been doing it for know, a couple months now. We're on 18, right? 18 weeks we've been doing that. I'll give you a tip. You know what I see is one of the greatest barriers to evangelism? And it's really sad to say, and I don't mean this to beat us all up or not. I, I don't mean that. 
But church and people in church can be one of the greatest barriers to evangelism. Everybody's shaking, nodding their head. You've seen it. You've experienced it. So let me clarify. You know, we're so good at looking good on Sunday morning. Um, when I say we're, I mean we're too. We're so good at looking, keeping it looking good on the outside as we come to church. Then we leave here and we take our Jesus hat off and we throw it in the corner when we get home. And instead of us reflecting the glory of God, our family sees us. Our co-workers see us. Our Facebook friends see us for who we really are. What they see is a total disconnect from what we claim to be found as followers of Jesus Christ while we're pursuing life and things of this world. And in those areas, probably one of the greatest things that we could beg God to change in our lives personally. Because the things they see in us isn't who we really are as followers of Jesus. So you and I exist for the select purpose of glorifying God to enhance his reputation. We were made to worship him, to revere him, to find our primary sense of fulfillment and purpose in nothing else than in him alone. That's why we are made, and that's why we are still here. According to Jesus in Matthew 5, every good deed we perform ought to be designed towards enhancing the reputation of God. Every action, no matter how small. Everything should be for this purpose. If a person is pursuing to glorify God in everything they do and commits themselves to that end, and then as key point, they rely upon the Holy Spirit to help them change. We can't do this ourselves. It's not in our nature to do that ourselves. There will be a noticeable, there will be noticeable attitudes and actions that we begin to emerge. And the things of this world will hold less appeal in comparison to seeing and savoring what God has for us. Like John the Baptist said, he must become greater, I must become less. More of Jesus, less of me. And when that starts to happen, then I will find the real me, the me that God created me to be. And others will see God in me instead of seeing me. In order to glorify God in my life, I must be committed to putting aside the things in my life that focus on or feed the desires of my life, of myself. Those things are roadblocks that prevent others from seeing Christ in me. Well, this all might seem pretty simple, and and it is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And a lot of times we want to complicate it with, well, you got to do this and this, right? I mean, it can't be too easy. Or... It's supposed to be easy. The Christian life is simplicity, simple satisfaction in Christ, and less attachment to the world. 
fixing minds on things above and not on earthly things, right? dying to self, living for God, pursuing obedience, walking in faith, trusting in God for all things, feeling, thinking, and acting in ways that reflect his greatness that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all that he is. In its simplicity, it seems almost impossible, doesn't it? And if we focus on our effort, attainment, and achievement, we pursue our own glory, it is impossible. As we pursue the things that God has for us in his way and in his divine enablement and power, we will become great reflectors of God's glory. Amen. Worship team, why don't you come up? And while they're doing that, and I'm moving back here to the guitar, I'm going to ask a couple questions just for you to think about. First, ask yourself the following in these areas. First, attitudes. Does your attitude or my attitude about something reflect God's priorities in my life? Is it God's priorities or my own? Is my attitude shaped more by circumstances or by the relationship and trust that I have placed in Christ? Why don't you, Brian, why don't you mute this one and give me this one. So attitudes. The next one is actions. Is what I'm doing more inclined to enhance my reputation or God's? Conversations. Do my conversation, <laughs> does my conversation build up others? Will it help someone else be inspired towards pursuing the things of God? Ephesians 4.29 tells us to make sure that no unwholesome talk comes out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's a tough one. Dreams and goals. Do we pursue what God has designed us and gifted us to do? Or do we pursue what each of us envisions for ourselves? Using our God-given gifts and abilities gives testimony to God's glory, since he is the one who gave us the gift in the first place. When we use our gifts, we are faithfully administrating God's grace in its various forms, as we're told in 1 Peter 4.10. And finally, relationships. Are we pursuing purity, considering others as better than ourselves? Are we serving someone else with a sacrificial love that seeks to cause them to grow as opposed to getting what we want out of the relationship? All of this is glorifying to God. Taking an interest in the spiritual growth of others is a priority that we cannot miss. So think about those in your life. Let me pray. Father, thank you.